exactly what are the voices that you kind of hear that go on in your head. Because if you don't, it can become fatal. Look at this first Bible verse in Proverbs 14, verse 12. What you think is the right road may lead to death. In other words, folks, it can be fatal. You know, a lot of evil gets blamed on God. You ever notice that before? People will stand up and they say, well, God told me. And then all of a sudden there's this horrible thing that happens. And God gets blamed for a lot of stuff. And just because a person says, God told me, the Bible says you shouldn't just believe that. In fact, in 1 John it says, don't believe every message you hear just because someone says it's a message from God. Test it first to see if it really is. And the key phrase there is the phrase test it. You might want to circle that. Because you should test everything when people say, well, God told me or this is what God said. You have to test things. You think are from God because the fact is they might even be from Satan. I mean, in one second, folks, a person can hear from God. And just within the next second, a split second, you can hear from Satan. And you might say, no, 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 that can't happen. Well, let me share a story with you that's in the Bible. One day, Jesus was with his 12 disciples, his 12 best friends. And he's talking to all of them, and he turns to one of them named Peter. And he says to Peter, he says, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter's like, Lord, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You are God's one and only Son. And Jesus is like, way to go, Pete. That's exactly what I am. And he said, you know what? This wasn't revealed to you by a human being. This actually came from God. And then uh, uh, immediately, right after that, Jesus turns to Peter and he says, well, Peter, I've got to go to Jerusalem And when I get there, I'm going to be crucified on a cross, and I'm going to die. And Peter immediately says, no way, Lord. That's nonsense. Don't do that. That would be stupid. You can't let them do that. And you know what Jesus said immediately, right after he said that? He said, get behind me, Satan. So in one second... Peter gets it exactly right, and he's like, way to go, boy. Way to go, Pete. That didn't come from you. That came from God. Way to listen. And then in the second moment, he gets something from Satan. He says, that's not from me. That's not from me at all. That's from the devil. Folks, that's how quick you can miss things if you don't test things. One minute, you can be saying, ah, You know, God can be saying, you're right. That's exactly right. I'm so glad you listened to me. And in the very next moment, he can be saying, you didn't get that from me. I don't know where you got that from, People Magazine or something, but you didn't get that from me at all. That's from the devil. So the question becomes, how do we know when an impression, an idea, or a prompting is from God or it's not? And you have to test it. Jesus says this, Anyone who wants to know God's will can test this teaching. In other words, he says, my teaching. 
and know whether it's from God or whether I'm making it up. Now, let me give you the first test that you need to ask yourself, and these will all be questions. The first question is this. Does it agree with the Bible? The thing that you sense God is asking you to do or you feel connected to, does it agree with the Bible? Does the idea in my mind right now, does it agree with the Bible? Because God's will, folks, will never contradict his word. His will will never contradict the words that are in this book. God doesn't say one thing and then do something else. He doesn't say one thing that he says is true, and then all of a sudden he turns around and he says, it's not true. You see, God is consistent. He's always been a consistent God. God isn't moody, you know? God doesn't have these mood swings that kind of go back and forth. He doesn't, like, uh, you know, lose it on a whim. Somebody says something, you're like, ah! Kind of like me last night with my two girls trying to put them in the bathtub, you know? I was about ready to drown them. In Jesus' name. But, but he doesn't do that. You know, he doesn't have that kind of, he loses it kind of thing. And God will never tell you a principle that is in his word, in the Bible, and then contradict it and tell you to do something totally different. He won't tell you to ignore this book and then tell you, oh, it's okay, go ahead and disobey it. In Luke 21, verse 33, Jesus said this, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will what? What's the word say? Never. Never. And that's the word you want to circle. That's the key word. It will never pass away. God's words are eternal. The earth is not eternal. The universe is not eternal. Your car is not eternal. Your house is not eternal. But God's words will never change. Um, I saw a bumper sticker not too long ago. Uh, we'll pull, put it up here on the uh, screen. It said, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Um, I'd like you to turn to the person beside you. Tell me, or we'll just do it as a larger group, I guess. Do you agree or don't agree with that? Turn to the person beside you, kind of tell them, do you agree with that statement or don't, okay? Oh, no one's going to talk? Okay? I have a feeling if we did a a little survey here, most of you would say, oh, yeah, I agree with that. You know what? I disagree. And you know why? This is what I think the bumper sticker should say. God said it, that settles it. You see, folks, it really doesn't matter whether I believe it or you believe it. If it's true, it's true because God cannot lie. Now, I lie and you lie. Some of you are looking at me like right now, oh, the pastor lies. Well, I don't, you know. Come on. Hey, you, I lie, you lie, but God never lies. In fact, the Bible says this, it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for him to lie. So God always tells the truth. Folks, if he told you to do something that was in this book, then he's never going to contradict it. So the question you have to ask is, is there harmony in what I sense God telling me to do with the words that are in this book. For instance, in the book of Romans, it tells us that we should pay our taxes. We are commanded as citizens 
to pay our taxes, it says in the book of the Ro- in Romans, in the second half of the Bible. Plus, Jesus said these words, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and give to God the things that are God. Now, if all of a sudden you get an idea, God told me not to pay my taxes. Could you please come up and tell me that too, you know? No. If, if you get an idea that, you know, God tells me not to pay my taxes, guess what? That wasn't God. That might have been bad food that you ate last night, but that wasn't God. Because God has already said in his words that you should pay taxes. He's not going to contradict that. Here's another one. The Bible says that sex is not dirty. Sex is not dirty at all. Sex is holy. You see, God invented sex. He created it. He said there is going to be this glue that connects a husband and a wife together that they would be husband and wife uh, for eternity. And many times in Scripture, uh, God says uh, sex is to be reserved only for a husband and a wife in the bonds of marriage. Now, you may not like that. You may not like that at all. But it doesn't make it any less true. Now, you might say, I'm going to go and I'm going to have sex with whoever I want, with whenever I want, whatever. That's fine. You know, if you want to do that. But you didn't get that idea from God. That's your idea. Don't say, you know, God told me to have sex with a person because God didn't tell you that. I mean, can you imagine going to a bar and that being your pickup line? You know what I mean? Hey, I uh, just wanted you to know, but... Uh, uh, you know, God told me you're supposed to have sex with me, you know? They'd be like, what? What are you talking about, you know? I mean, it just wouldn't work. But you ever notice that before? When people want you to really believe or do something that they want you to do, they'll play the God card. They'll trump it every single time. And you just don't play that card, especially in dating. I can't tell you how many people I've counseled before where people are like, well, if they loved me, they would, you know. I'm like, loved you? All you want to do is get a cheap thrill. You know what I mean? But if you want to honor that the whole way, that's what it says in the Bible. That sex is wonderful. It's holy in the confines of marriage. Now, the Bible says this also. Even if an angel showed up, even if an angel showed up and said, Oh, by the way, I have this brand new revelation. You know this thing that God's been doing with the Bible? That's like good, but it's kind of antiquated. It's a little bit out of date. I think we need to add something else, a different book, a new kind of perspective. God says, you didn't get that from me, and you know that's not right. In fact, in Galatians 1, it says this, Let God's curse fall on anyone, including myself, Paul, One of Jesus' closest followers says, Let the curse even fall upon me who preaches any other message, even if an angel comes from heaven and preaches any other message. I mean, even if an angel came down and said, No, 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 no. This book right here is not quite enough. We should add another book to it. Or we have some new revelation that we want to give to you. It says very clearly that that is not from God. And it says, Let that person be forever cursed. Now, folks, here's the point. 
The majority of what God wants you to do in your life, the majority of that is found right here in this book. You don't have to read some other book, although other books are good. You don't have to try to figure it out all on yourself. You just start reading this, and all of a sudden, his will will come into your life of what he wants you to be about. So this spring, one of the things that we're going to do, I'm so convicted to you guys connecting with the Bible, we're going to do another kind of video with Chris for the 40 days leading up to Easter, where each day I'll kind of give a two, two and a half minute devotional looking at a passage of scripture so you stay connected. And today, if you don't have a Bible or you want to start a reading plan at the Connections table, we have those, and I'd encourage you to do that. So first test, does it agree with the Bible? Second test is this, does this make me more like Christ? Whatever this impression is, whatever this idea is, does it make me more like Christ? (coughs) You see, Jesus, folks, is the standard for every thought, every idea, every philosophy, every opinion, every fad that I have. Everything I hold up against what Jesus is. Why? Because God's purpose for your life is to make you to look more like Christ. And we've talked about this many times. I mean, why doesn't God just take you to heaven? I mean, like, why doesn't he create you, and then all of a sudden it's a one-way trip right to heaven? I mean, that would be the right way, right? Then you don't have to go through pain and hurt and grief and people you know, putting your name down and someone treating you like a junkyard dog, you know. I mean, you wouldn't have to go through any of that if you could just be born and then immediately go to heaven. I mean, why does God, you know, have you stay here for 80 years or so and deal with all of that? You ever think about that before? Or am I the only person that has those weird thoughts, you know? Yeah. Well, He put you here because this life is just a test, a trust, a temporary assignment of what you're dealing with. He wants you to practice here on earth what you're going to do in heaven for eternity. And most of all, you know what God's most concerned about is your character. That your character would look like Christ. You know, Tim Tebow's been the big talk of everything. And last night, man, he got drilled, didn't he? But I thought it was so interesting, after the interview, or after the game, they interviewed him, and uh, they asked him, they said, hey, you know, what do you learn after this? And he's like, you know, sometimes God teaches you more in your failure than you do in your success. And whether you like Tebow or you hate Tebow, Uh, I'll tell you what, the thing that I'm amazed with is his character has stayed exactly the same, whether he was third string, second string, first string, most popular athlete. Because, see, what he's realizing is what God is most concerned about is my character. And God is concerned with your character more than anything else. There's always going to be problems. There's going to be difficult things. How many of you would agree that this life is tough? Anybody? Yeah. Everyone's like, hey, man, I'll vote on that, you know. Yeah, this life is tough. It's hard. It's not easy at all. And the reason is because nothing on this planet is perfect. Everything is broken. 
Every single person, including the guy on this stage, is broken. Every mind is broken. Every relationship is broken. There is nothing that is perfect. There is no perfect marriage. There is no perfect economy. There's no perfect church. This church is very imperfect. If you're perfect and you're here, you should go find another church. Because this is not the church for you. We are very imperfect. There's no perfect country. And why? Because we all sin. We all do things that we want to do and not what God wants. Now, heaven is going to be wonderful. It's going to be an amazing place, full of fun. There'd be immediate suicide right now if we realized how amazing heaven is going to be. But right now, folks, God isn't concerned so much about heaven as he is your character. He's more concerned about your character than your comfort. And he wants you to grow up and become like Jesus. Now, look at this next verse, or next couple verses. The Bible says this. In your lives, you must think and act like Jesus Christ. In other words, Jesus is the model. Here's another one. We take every thought captive. In other words, we take all the tests, all the thoughts, we take them captive so it's obedient to Christ. That means when I get an idea or something in my head, the first question you should ask is, would Jesus do something like this? Would Jesus think this? Would Jesus feel this way? Would Jesus act this way? Because he's the standard, and I want to become more like Christ, and you're here, even if you're here for the first time, and you're not sure about this whole God thing, something brought you here to seek to go, maybe this Jesus thing is a way I should live my life. So we have to ask the question, what is Jesus like? And maybe just as important, what is Jesus not like? James 3 tells us this. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, such wisdom, in other words, thoughts, your ideas, that is of the devil. But the wisdom that comes from God, those ideas, those thoughts from God, is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, impartial, and sincere. Now, the guy who wrote this was named James. He was actually Jesus' brother. And you know, a brother and sister really know what you are like more than anyone else. I mean, like, you might be able to fool other people, but they know what you're like. And James says, hey, this is the way Jesus was, and this is the way that Jesus wasn't. There are two things that you can know, you can get an idea is from God, and there are seven things here that uh, you can know that the idea is from God, and two things that are not from God. So let's look at these first two things that are not from God. The first idea, he says, is not from God, is if it's motivated by bitterness or envy. If there's bitterness or envy connected to whatever your thought is, folks, it's not from God. What does that mean? If I get an idea that I'm going to get even with this person, I'm going to get some revenge towards this person, I'm going to retaliate towards this person. I mean, if I'm thinking to myself, well, they hurt me, now I'm going to hurt them back. I know exactly how to hurt them. I know how I'm going to embarrass them. I'm going to make them, you know, the spotlight and just pull it out from underneath the carpet from them. I know how I'm going to hurt them. This idea is not from God. It says it came from who? It says the devil. 
an idea to retaliate, to get revenge, to get even. This does not come from God. He also says, if it's based on envy, it's not from God. If I say, I'm going to buy this new pair of shoes and shirt and pants, and I'm going to make everybody else envious of me, guess what? It's not from God. I'll never forget, in seventh grade, I wanted everyone to be envious of me. And so they had these little shirts that had alligators on them. And uh, I went out and I got a yellow shirt. And I walked into school thinking, oh, look at me, yellow. You know what, alligator? You know what that means? That means all of you that have penguins, you suck, you know? And all of you that have alligators, that's what it's about. And I wanted to make everybody think, well, I don't know where that was from, but it wasn't from God. It was evil. It was not from him. We do this as adults. People will go out and they'll buy new cars. And then you ever see them, you know, they drive. People with a new car, they don't drive like people, you know, like us that have used cars. They drive like this. Because they got a new car. You know what you got? A crap car, you know? And they want to let you see that. And they show it off. And God says, you didn't get that idea from me. It came from Satan. That's his wisdom. If the idea is motivated out of selfish ambition, it does not come from God. God doesn't give you self-serving ideas. Ideas that just affect yourself. I can come up with plenty of those on my own, you know. I don't need God to help me with that. I can do that. I mean, if you think of something like this, that you come up with plenty of this idea that, you know, I can get filthy rich and everybody's going to worship me and I'm going to be the king of the heap, the top dog, and everyone's going to be jealous of me and envious of me and I'm going to make so much money. If that's your thinking, if that's the thought that's in your head, you didn't get that idea from God. God says, you didn't get it from me. I didn't put you on this earth to live for yourself. I put you on this earth to live for others, to serve other people. If you get an idea and it's bitter or it's envious or it's full of selfish ambition, it didn't come from God. Where does it come from? The devil. Now, if you have an idea and it comes from God, it's going to be one of these things. Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, impartial, sincere. First of all, pure. If you get an idea and impression from God, it's going to be impure. If you get an idea and uh, it's not pure at all, it's impure, that thought obviously did not come from God. Second, it's got to be peace-loving. Now, what does that mean? When God gives you an idea, that idea will always promote harmony, not conflict. It will always promote reconciliation and not division. That's why tomorrow when we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, birthday and the civil rights movement that he worked at so uh, hard, what we will talk about is somebody who was peace-loving. You see, he was a bridge builder, not a wall builder. And that's what God wants for all of us, that we would be bridge builders and not wall builders. This is the cool thing that God does within time. When you build walls, eventually what he does is he'll break those down and sometimes it will cause pain until you use those same resources that you use for walls to build bridges towards other people. Here's the third thing, so be peace-loving. He says it should be considerate. 
The thing that I ask when I've got this idea is this. Would it hurt anybody else? Would it harm anybody else? If I get an idea in my head that I think is from God, but it's really only helping me and nobody else, guess what? It's not from God. If I get an idea to help myself, but it's going to hurt other people, maybe my family, my friends, my kids, the idea didn't come from God. It's real simple. God will always give you things to help you to be considerate towards others. Fourth, if you get an idea, it should be submissive. (coughs) Now, to be submissive does not mean that you're a doormat. To be submissive means that you are humble, that you're teachable. Submissive means that you're willing to have your ideas to be checked by other people. You constantly are asking, what do you think? Because when you say to somebody else, what do you think about this idea? I think it might be from God. You know what you're doing? You're taking that idea and you're submitting it to them. So you have to say, if you think it's from God, then you're not afraid to share your idea. You're you're willing to give it to whoever. To say, hey, what do you think about this? I can't tell you how many times with our leadership team over the last two years, I've taken the, jar, the dream of JAR 2.0, which is in your program. If you haven't read it yet, it's in there. I'd encourage you to do that. But when the dream first came and I, and I had this, I would ask people, well, what do you think? And then they helped kind of gear and shape the, the vision in different ways because they wanted it to be clearly from God. But I wasn't afraid. I could submit it because I sensed that this was what God was delivering to us. Now, for you married guys, those of you that are married, if you get an idea in your head, or if you've got a girlfriend, if you get an idea in your head and you don't want to share it with her, you kind of want to keep it to yourself, guess what? It ain't from God. I can't tell you how many times I've heard guys go, man, I had this this idea from God and I just went out and I just bought this brand new car because God told me to do it. And they never told their spouse. Uh, Wives, in the same way. You don't really want to check it out with your husband. You want to just do it on your own rather than talking to them. For instance, if you go, you know, you're in the store and you're like, should I buy this? Well, absolutely I should buy this. And you don't talk to them about that. That's not being submissive. That's not being humble. That's not having a teachable spirit. So it's not from God. If it's an idea from God, the Bible says you're willing to submit it to other people, to have it tested. The next thing is it should be full of mercy. Full of mercy. Now, what's that mean? What does that mean when an idea is full of mercy? It means that if the idea is from God, it's going to make you to be able to forgive people around you a lot easier. It's going to make you more gracious towards other people. I mean, if God has forgiven me so much, then I don't have an issue forgiving the other people around me. And if God's been so gracious to me, I don't have an issue being gracious to the other people around me. If God has cut you slack in your life, which he has, then why don't you cut slack for your spouse? Why don't you give some slack to your friends? Why don't you give some slack to your kids? If God's been gracious to you, you're gracious to others. True wisdom, wisdom that comes from God, wisdom that's not demonic, that doesn't go in some other way, but God's wisdom is full of mercy. I was thinking about this week. Mercy finds the beauty in every other person. No matter how 
poor, ugly, uh, you know, whatever is going on in their life, bad attitudes, whatever, you find the beauty in that person. I mean, it's so easy for us, isn't it, to find somebody and go, well, she is da-da-da-da-da, and she is da-da-da-da-da, or, man, that dude right there, you know what, I don't like it. I'll tell you why I don't like it. He looked at me the wrong way. We're playing basketball. I don't like it. What? You know, find the best in people. It's easy to look at people and to think of five things that you don't like about them. And it takes no brains whatsoever for you to criticize. You can get a monkey to criticize. Anybody can criticize. But to find something that is intelligent, full of wisdom and maturity, that takes a person who looks at a person and says, this is what's good in that person. This is what's beautiful. This is what's honorable. This is what's good. Finally, James says this, God's wisdom is impartial and sincere. This means that you don't manipulate other people when God gives you something. God gives something, you say, well, God told me, and then you try to manipulate where they're at. You see, that word sincere and impartial comes from the word hypocrite. And all of you know what a hypocrite is, right? It's not the person sitting in your seat. It's the person sitting beside you, right? Yeah. You wear a mask. You're fake. You're not very authentic. You talk with one group this way, and you talk with another one a different way. And so you get this thing from God, and inside of you, you're, you put on a face towards one person, not towards the other. And God says, if you do that, that is not for me. What you do is you are the same, consistent, no matter what. You don't play the God card. You're sincere. You're impartial. Here's a third test. Does my family confirm this? Does my church family confirm this? When you get an idea or an impression from God, you should talk to some other believers that are around you. You see, typically what we do is we don't talk to other godly people. We try to get people who think just like us. So they're always going, good job. It may be ruined your life. Way to go. Hey, wonderful. And you're like, oh, they're so good friends. No, they're not. Now, you might ask, well, why is this important? Because you weren't lit, you were uh, created to live life alone. You were to do life in relationships with other people. And so you don't mind going up to other people and say, hey, I got this idea. What do you think about it? This is why it's so important that you stay connected with the church family. You see, many of us have great track records when the first of the year starts, and then all of a sudden when June comes, we're like, Oh, man, i got to take a break, you know. Whew, I'm five months strong, you know. And then all of a sudden, summer comes and life gets weird, and all of a sudden, things get, and then fall comes and people are connected again. You need to stay connected throughout the year. Why? Because it helps you to grow. Ephesians 3.10 says this, God is intent through the church. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known. God's intent is that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. Through the church, wisdom is made known to all people. Jesus didn't just die for you, he also died for the church. And when he died for the church, he said, that's where I'm going to give the best wisdom that I know to give at. So, you genuinely then need to have people around you that you're willing to give ideas to and to say, you know what? Hey, what do you think about this? 
And when people confirm it and they say, yeah, that sounds exactly like something that Jesus would do. You should go for that. That makes sense to me. Or if you say something and they're like, ah, I'm not so sure. That doesn't sound quite right. That's what's important. You see, sometimes what happens is we get this crazy idea. I've seen it uh, multiple times in marriages. Someone will come up to me and say, well, God told me to get divorced. Who? The one who said, I hate divorce. I don't, I, whether you're divorced or not, that's not the issue. God's grace is full in everything. But don't put it towards God, you know. And you're like, what? No, 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 no. And he says, if you get a crazy idea and there are people around you, that's what's important. Then they can help you to say whether this is from God or not. So you just throw out the idea that may not be and you keep going forward. What I'm saying is, if you have a question, you're not afraid to give it to other people. Or you have an idea or a thought, you give it to others because you're not afraid. He wants to save you. Folks, that's the thing. God doesn't just want to save you uh, so you get to heaven. He wants to save you so you have abundant life while you're here on earth. Look at this next verse. He says, the wisdom of the righteous can save you. Why can other people who are righteous save you? They can save you time. Some of us spend so much wasted time going down wrong paths, and if we just ask some other people, we could save a lot of time. We could save a lot of pain. You could save pain from other mistakes. I mean, I don't know about you. This is the best way to learn from failures. Learn from other people, right? Don't make the failures yourself. Learn from the failures of other people around you. And confirmation of other believers will help you not fall into embarrassment, not fall into your reputation being messed up, not falling into your life being dejected. That's how important it is to get advice from other people. You see, one of the biggest mistakes that most people make is, first of all, they don't have godly people around them, and so they never get advice from them. Or two, they have godly people around them, but they don't listen to them. People kind of tell them things, and they're like, ah, I'm going to do my own thing. And this is why every single one of us in our lives need a particular thing. Anybody want to guess what it is? A small group. You need a group of people around you so that you're not out here living on your own, but you're living in community with other people. And many of you are in small groups, but not all of you. And if you're not, why not? It could save you time. It could save you pain. It could save you so many things. Sign up today at the connections table. Say, hey, you know what? I'm going to give this a chance. Two times a month where you're, you've got a group of people who love you and want to encourage you and to say, hey, I can bounce some ideas off of them. The Bible says this. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So if you want to make fewer mistakes, you get godly advice from a small group. Here's the fourth question. Is it convicting rather than condemning? If God gives you something, is it convicting rather than condemning. The problem is, and I was saying about this week, many of us get these two words confused. What's the difference between being convicted of something and being condemned about something? Well, conviction comes from God. And the reason he convicts us is so that we would change. So if I say something to my kids that's way off base, or I say something 
to my uh, wife that's way off base. God comes and convicts me and says, you shouldn't say that, Chris. That's conviction. And the reason that God corrects you, folks, and disciplines you is not so that, you know, he can put your life down and you can have no fun. You'll just be this person that comes to the jar and goes, I go to church, but God is always convicting me of stuff. It's just horrible. Go Jesus. And then you do that the next... That's not what he's about. Not at all. He convicts you because he wants to grow you uh, and doesn't want you to have pain. He wants to develop your character. Conviction is something that God is saying in my life that needs to change. There's something in my life that needs to change. On the other hand, condemnation, folks, is what comes from Satan. Condemnation comes from Satan. It's motivated by Satan's hatred towards you. He wants to devalue you. He wants to attack your value and say you're worthless. And when you're going through life and you have these things in your head like, I'm worthless, I'm no good, I'm useless, I'm not worth anything. Folks, that's not God's voice. And there are churches sometimes that will preach that, oh, God is going to tell you that you're worthless. Whatever church that is, that's not the church that Jesus died for. That's never words that come out of his mouth. That is from Satan. And the reason I know this, that those things are not from God, but they're from Satan, is because in Romans 8.1 it says this, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. In other words, if you belong to Jesus, he will never condemn you as a person. Why? Because you're his child. He loves you. Folks, God does not speak with a voice of condemnation. So anytime you feel that or your value is going down, that's not from God. That's from the evil one. In fact, like I said earlier, God will never attack your own value as a person. Satan does, but God doesn't. Now, will God point out your sin? What do you think? Of course he will. He doesn't want you to be hurt. But he'll never attack your value. You are his child. He loves you. He wants great things in store for you. Revelation 3.19 says this, When God speaks into my life, I know that he speaks because it says, he says things like this, those who, dear, those who I dearly and tenderly love, I tell their faults and I convict and I discipline. So be earnest and repent, changing your mind and attitude. That's how God speaks. This past uh, Tuesday night, we had a uh, meeting of some of our leadership, and I was sharing with them about the jar, the dream of Jar 2.0. We were talking about the excitement of it and steps that we were going to take. And uh, my wife was there uh, also, and we got done, and I'm like in the presence of God, and I'm feeling so great. And I get in the car, and I'm driving home, and she calls me and says, hey, we got a friend who's sick, so I'm going to go there, and so can you relieve the babysitter? And then watch the kids. I'm like, oh, yeah, no problem, you know. I'm just full of God. And I, I get there, and I switch out the babysitter. Everything's good. And I get the girls ready. And uh, then I walk into the kitchen. And there are dishes all in the sink. There is macaroni on the stove. And in my head, I'm thinking to myself at that point, this is Jennifer's issue. I don't know what she was thinking but this is not my issue. Why did she not get all of this done? And you know, by the way, I'm tired of always having to clean up after. 
That was all playing in my mind. And immediately I felt this attack that said, you call yourself a pastor? How could you act like you just stood up in front of all these people and said how amazing God is and God's going to do all this stuff and you're acting like that? You can't be a pastor. The dream of JAR 2.0 will never happen because of that. Condemnation. But guess what my memory verse was this week? Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I just kind of said that scripture to myself, and all of a sudden it went from Satan trying to condemn me to God trying to convict me and say, Chris, why would you act like that? Jennifer got all the dinner ready, got everything ready, and you can't clean up dishes for her? You can't serve me by serving her? That's wrong thinking, Chris. And so I just went up and went to bed, and that was it. No, I cleaned all the dishes. I got everything ready. I mean, I was like Rachel Ray when she walked in. You know, like that. you ever see her, everything looks so clean and nice in Rachel Ray's life. Now, I want to tell you folks, I don't immediately do that. There are many times that the dishes are like that, and I do. I walk upstairs. But this was one of those moments where I was convicted. And this is the thing with conviction. God's conviction will only stay in your life as long as, as you wait to repent. So if you don't confess or you don't repent for a month, his conviction is going to be in your life for a month. Six months, six months. A year, a year. But if you immediately say, man, this is wrong thinking. I'm so sorry, God. I'm wrong with this. All of a sudden, the conviction goes away, and he goes, that a boy, way to go. That a girl, way to go. And you do it. Um, the scripture says this, Satan is the accuser of believers. Satan wants to accuse you. When it comes to sin, have you ever noticed this? Satan will uh, minimize it at first, and then once you screw up, then he will maximize it. You ever noticed that before? Before you sin, he's like, ah, it's no big deal. Everybody's doing it. Go ahead. God doesn't care. It's good. Don't worry about it. And then the minute after you do that, Satan's like, how could you do that? You just went to the jar on Sunday and you did that? Oh, you're horrible. What are you thinking? That's how Satan speaks. So what do I do? Immediately, once I hear God's voice coming to my life, go, no, 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 no. You confess. You give it back to him. Here's the last thing. Last question you need to ask. If you sense an idea or a thought, do I sense God's peace about it? Folks, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel anxious, if you feel, um, you know, just really frustrated, it might be about money, it might be about uh, a relationship, your kids, but you sense God telling you to do something, but there's no peace about it, that's probably not his voice and you're in the way. The scripture says this, God is not the author of confusion. He doesn't confuse us. If that's what you're sensing, it's probably another voice, but it's not from God. I mean, those of you who are parents, you don't want your kids to feel pressured. You don't want them to feel anxious. You don't want them overwhelmed to do something, do you? 
You want them to do it out of a sense of, wow, this is the right thing to do. I feel peace about this when I obey my mom or dad in this way. And God's the perfect heavenly father. I mean, if you want that from your kids, don't you think your perfectly heavenly father wants you to feel his peace? So do I sense God's peace in my life? You see, folks, 90% of what God will give to you is encouragement. Encouragement. And so if you're feeling angst or you're feeling frustrated or you get negative messages all the time, don't blame that on God. It's not God. I mean, if you're trying to figure out what God wants you to do and you're feeling anxiety and worry about all the time, whatever the decision is, something's got crossed up. The Bible says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Some of you should cut that out and put it up somewhere because that's what you need. You need that. When God speaks to you, folks, he doesn't want to create anxiety and worry. He wants to be very clear so confusion's gone and you can experience peace. But notice what it says in that verse. It says, if you do this, you will experience God's peace. In other words, it's not just a matter of hearing from God, but you actually have to do something. I love this last verse here. It says, if you want to hear from God, you'll do these three things. Listen to this advice. Follow it closely, for it will do you good. Then you can pass it on to other people. So it's not just hearing from God. It's doing these three things. It's you listen, you hear it, you follow it, and then you pass it on to other people. This past Wednesday, my uh, oldest daughter, Jordan, it was her day at preschool to bring the snacks. And if you bring the snacks on that day, you're the leader of that day, and you get this basket. And we put all the little snacks, 20 snacks, in this basket. And my wife, Jennifer, was uh, with her, and uh, she got ready to pick it up, and Jennifer turned to her and said, Jordan, you're not going to be able to pick that up. It's way too heavy. And uh, without even pausing, Jordan says, I know, but God can. He's a lot stronger. And so my wife, being so wise, said, well, how do you know that, Jordan? And she said, well, he told me. Why is it, folks, that kids get it so easy, and as adults, we make it so confusing? I mean, a kid is so open and free to say, you know, whatever you say, God, I'll do it. And as adults, we worry, doubt enters in, and all of a sudden, we don't stay connected. And what is it? What's the problem that gets us disconnected from us and God? Well, the problem is, folks, is sin. It's just the things in our life that disconnect us from God. And that sin could be in a relationship that you have. It might be in some habit that you're holding on to. It might be a hurt that you've held on and you've been angry and mad for a long, long time. And God's like, I want to speak into your life, but there's all this blockage. And until we get this out of the way, we can't connect. 
And what you simply need to do, the Bible says, is that you confess it. You say, hey, God, I want to be connected to you. So whatever that thing is that's in the way, I want it out of the way so that I can have a relationship with you. I'm sorry. I want to turn away from that and turn towards you. And the first step, folks, to hearing God is to beginning a relationship with him. So if you would, I'd invite you to stand. We're going to close in prayer, and uh, we'll be done. And I'm going to pray right now. The first prayer is kind of, if, if you've never heard from God before, you've never really had a relationship uh, connected with him before, uh, that you just kind of pray along this prayer, not out loud, but just kind of to your heart. And then uh, we'll kind of have a second prayer for those that, man, I accepted Christ, but I'm just not there. So let's pray. Dear God, I, uh, I want to know you. I want to know your voice. I want to know what you want me to do with my life. Jesus Christ, I don't understand everything, but I thank you that you love me, that you made me, that you shaped me for a purpose, that you brought me here to the jar this morning so that I could connect with you. that you forgave me, that you've taken all the condemnation that Satan would want to throw, and you say, no, 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 that's not who you are. You're my child, and I love you. Show me the things in my life. You can say this. Show me the things in my life that are keeping me from hearing you. I confess them. I want to get rid of them. I want to follow you. I want to trust you from this day forward. I, accept, I ask you to accept me into your family and help me to hear your voice, God, and to experience your presence throughout this week. And I just pray that right now, God, for anyone who prayed that prayer, that you, God, would speak to them this week. Let them know that they're your child who you love. And for the rest of you, maybe you've already made a commitment, you've opened yourself up, that you would say this prayer. Dear God, this week I want to hear from you. More than that, I want to do what you tell me to do. I'm choosing your way in advance. I want to pass on what you tell me to other people so I can grow. Help me to use these seven steps this week as I listen to you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know you're loved in this place. If you like prayer for anything, our prayer team will be up here. Uh, come on up.
the place where you 